mean standing. Turn in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter number 5. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter number 5. And I'm going to pick up in verse number 1, read about three verses, and then uh, we'll let you be seated. 2 Kings chapter 5, and pick up in verse number 1 as we continue our series on a choice servant. And as we look at the choices of many servants of God <clears throat> and what choices they made, the choices that we can make to be used of God in our life. Second Kings chapter 5, we're going to read the account of Naaman tonight. <clears throat> and I, I believe probably most of us know the account well enough not to give a tremendous amount of backstory for the sake of time. We'll pick up in verse 1. The Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. She waited on Naaman's wife. And he said unto her, Mistress, and unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Bless it. Pray your will be accomplished through it, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this particular character we're going to look at tonight is uh, quite interesting because the character we're going to look at doesn't have a name. Uh, very few times in Scripture, there's a few that we can find where God would give us an example of someone who had such great spiritual character and yet did not give us their name. And it's quite interesting. The Bible just calls her, in verse number two, a little maid. I'll be honest, as I was preparing to preach the message, I thought it makes the story and the testimony of this young lady so much more beautiful that God does not give us her name. Because we don't know this young lady, but here's what's interesting. We do not know her, but we know the God that worked through her. So often in ministry, I'll be honest with you, look, preachers are like everybody else. We live in flesh bodies, and this flesh body likes the priority, and this flesh body likes the preeminence. We like to be out front, and we like to be known, and yet we see so often in several times in Scripture where God used people, and he did not even give their name. I thought to myself, I was sitting at the kitchen table this afternoon, that the testimony of this young maid is one we should all aspire to. That people may not get to know who we are, but they'll get to know the God that works through us. Didn't have to know what her name was. Matter of fact, I was thinking about a song that West Coast sings. I looked it up this afternoon, and one of the lines on the, of the song, the song is The Cause of Christ, it says this, It is not fame that I desire, nor stature in my brother's eye. I pray it is said about my life that I did more to build your name than mine. That was the testimony of this young lady. You didn't have to know who she was, but you were very well acquainted with the God that worked through her. Now, I want you to know, God, listen, people don't have to know who you are to know the God that works through you. So often we think we have to be somebody and we have to be well known in order for us to be used of God. But I'll be honest with you tonight, as long as they know the God that works through you, that's all they really need to know. I'll tell you a funny story. I've told this story many, many times and I'll not use names to incriminate or embarrass anyone. 
Now, several years ago, I was uh, at a conference, and I was invited to go eat with the speakers that were at the conference. Uh, and I was sitting at one end of the table, and a very well-known evangelist uh, from a very well-known Bible college in Indiana was sitting at the other end of the table. On the right side were two well-known pastors. On the left side were two other well-known pastors. And I was sitting at this end of the table. And as we sat there eating together, the very well-known evangelist at the other end of the table was eating a chicken leg and just kept looking up at me as he ate the chicken leg. I'll be honest with you, I was kind of getting a little nervous. If thinking, what's this guy staring at me, you know? Is my tie crooked? Is there something on my face? Something stuck to my teeth? And so I just went back to eating. And a few moments later, you know, you check back one more time just to see if they're still looking. He was still looking. He just sitting there eating. And finally, it got the best of him. You could tell. It was just going all over him. And it's exactly what he said. You just asked my wife. He puts down his chicken leg. He points to my end of the table. And he says, how did you get here? I knew exactly what he meant. I know these guys, and I know these guys, but he says, who are you? I kind of I felt like, you know, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? That's kind of like what I felt like. And I just looked up at him, and I said, I'm just a nobody from the backside of Carson, Mississippi. Can I tell you something tonight? You don't have to be a somebody for God to use you as long as you're willing to let God use the nobody, which should be you tonight. We see this little maid here. We don't know what her name is, but God used her all the same. And I want you to understand that in this case, you see something interesting. That God called the nobody to go help the somebody. Naaman was a somebody. Notice verse number one. He was captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master, honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. So Naaman was the somebody. But isn't it ironic and isn't it interesting that God chose a nobody to go and help out the somebody? Harry Truman said it this way. It's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. Now, folks, I believe God could use us tonight to follow the pattern of this little maid here, this unknown, and we can see how God used this unknown maid to go and be a blessing and to change the life of someone, and he even took the time to include her story in the Word of God. So tonight, we're going to look at three pivotal choices that I believe enabled this nobody, this maid, to be used of God. So the message is simply this, the choices of the ministry-minded maid, all right? I think we can remember that tonight. The choices of the ministry-minded maid. So go back and look at chapter 5, and let's jump right into this if we could. The backstory to this is kind of vital. You need to understand a little bit what's going on here. The Bible says in verse number 2, the Syrians had gone out by companies. They were, these were raiding parties. The Bible says that when went out and they raised, raided Israel, they had brought away captive <clears throat> this little maid. So understand, she's been born in Israel, she's been taken captive, and now she's having to go and to serve the family of Naaman. I mean, she's in forced uh, slave labor, if you will. She's away from everything that she knows. She's away from everything that she loves. She's away from everything that's familiar. She's away from her family. She has every reason tonight to have a bad attitude and to be bitter toward Naaman. I'll be honest with you, you kidnap me, you know, you Shanghai me and you carry me overseas to go and to work for you, I'm not going to have a good attitude. You might make me work, but I don't have to like it. And yet we notice this, this young lady, I want you to notice her first choice. She chose compassion instead of contempt. 
She chose compassion instead of contempt. Now, I want you to understand, it's not natural for someone to be sympathetic to the people who have taken her captive. That's not a natural reflex. If you do something wrong to me, then my natural reflex is to do something wrong to you. But her reaction is not a natural reaction. It's a spiritual reaction. We see her choosing to have compassion on Naaman. I mean, if you had taken me captive, and all of a sudden I found out you were diagnosed with cancer, or you were diagnosed with leprosy as Naaman was diagnosed with leprosy, the last thing I would have is compassion on you. I would probably sit back and think to myself, may not utter the words, but now you're getting what you deserve. Because you did to me what you did to me, and you took me from my home and my family, and you've forced me to serve you, and now you're getting what you deserve. But that's not exactly what she did. The Bible says she went to the mistress, and she says, wait, 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 I know how we can help him. She says if, if he'll go find the prophet of God that's in Samaria, he'll be healed of his leprosy. And we see this young lady choosing to have compassion upon Naaman rather than have contempt toward Naaman. Now, I want to tell you something tonight. If you ever desire to be used of God to become a choice servant, that's what this is all about. How can I improve myself and make choices to where God would want to use me in his service? Can I tell you tonight, one of the most key ingredients you will need is compassion. You've got to have compassion. Now, why is compassion of such an attractive attribute to God? Well, Jude 22, the Bible says that some having compassion, listen close, making a difference. Some having compassion, making a difference. Can I tell you, it's going to be hard for you to make a difference in the lives of the lost world that God has called us to go to without having compassion upon them. Now, folks, that means we, can, we got to just have more than feel sorry for people. I believe, I believe the last time I spoke on compassion was during missions conference, and we talked about how we've got to be motivated by compassion. Jude 22, it says, some having compassion, making a difference. What keeps them going? What makes them go? Because they have compassion on the people that they're going to. I believe tonight that compassion is the most purest form of a Christian's motivation. Think about it. The reason that compassion is the purest form of Christian motivation is because compassion has its sole focus on others. Compassion takes the other people into consideration. I want you to think about this young maid. She is not thinking about herself. If she'd been thinking about herself, she would have said, huh, you're getting what you deserve. You kidnapped me. You're forcing me to, 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 to look after your wife and to be the maid after your wife. You're getting what you deserve. That's thinking about herself. We can see she was not thinking about herself because she's having compassion on the one who's taken her away. Now, I'll be honest with you tonight, folks. Listen, I believe we have got the mechanics of ministry down very well today. I really do. I believe we've, we've got it near about down to an art. We know what to do and, and where to go, and we know what to say. But I believe we're lacking the motivator, okay? You can have the greatest vehicle in the world. You can have a Rolls Royce or a Mercedes, and it's got all of the wonderful parts. And I even hear they've got some that'll make coffee now. That's a perfect vehicle right there. I mean, just fill it up. You wouldn't have to ever pull over. But you know, if that vehicle doesn't have gasoline, it's no good. 
You've got to have something in the tank that's going to get that machine down the road. Now, folks, listen, we can build an awesome machine out of a church. We can have all of the wonderful moving parts and programs, and hey, that's great if we use it to the glory of God. But something has got to motivate the machine, and that needs to be compassion. We've got to look at people and the situation they're in, and something on the inside ought to well up, knowing that we have the answer to what they're suffering from. I was reading today uh, behind people, all these wonderful quotes about compassion, and boy, people who lived out compassion, and I read about the, uh, the opponent to the Nazis, the preacher, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say this, he says, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do and what they don't, and more in the light of what they're suffering from. We've got to learn to look at people less in the light of what they do or what they don't do and look at them in the light of what they're suffering from. Folks, it's easy for us to look at people out there in the lost world and say, you're getting what you deserve, but be careful because when the wind changes, that blows back on us. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Thank God that that he loved us enough and had compassion upon us that he sent his son to us because of what we were suffering from, which was sin, which is, by the way, what everybody else is suffering with. That's the root of all the problems in our country. It's sin. You see what's going on up there in Washington. You say, well, it's politics and it's the election. No, it's sin. That's the root of everything. God's answer to our sin was compassion in sending his son, and now he sends us to go out with that same compassion. I fear, really do today, I fear that we get into this place where we are motivated by two things. Number one, we get motivated by compulsion. Now, there's nothing wrong with being compelled to go. As a pastor, I try to compel you to go. But after a while, you need to become a self-starter. Okay, the pastor's not always going to be there, and the Sunday school teacher's not always going to be there. By the way, young people, listen, your mom and dad aren't always going to be there either. You need to have something on the inside that gets you going, that keeps you going when there's nobody else there to push you to get going. Amen? So we don't need to serve out of compulsion, but on the other end of that, I believe we serve out of coercion. All right, compulsion is where people are always having to push us. Come on, come on, come on. My wife had to push me out of bed this morning. I told the kids in chapel, man, when it's cold outside and you got that 150-pound blanket, you know, all the way up to your neck, you just don't want to move. And it feels good, don't it? I'm glad I'm not the only one. Some of you are smiling. You're honest enough to admit it. My wife had to compel me to get out of bed, okay? She was trying to motivate me. But the other type of motivation is coercion. That's where we stand in front of somebody with a carrot. Come on. Come on, come on. Hey, God will bless you. Come on, God will bless you. Come on, God will bless you. Can I tell you, after a while, compulsion and coercion will not keep you going. What you need to have is something on the inside of your spiritual gas tank called compassion. And I'll tell you this, you'll never run out of gas. Why? Because the needs are always going to be there. You're never going to fulfill all the need that's in this world. And if you look at people and what they're suffering from, something wells up on the inside to go give them what you got. By the way, what you got, isn't it wonderful? It got you to church. Look, it got you to church tonight on a cold Wednesday night. What happened? Was there somebody? No, you guys, maybe so because you're kids. But there probably wasn't nobody beating you with a stick to come to church tonight. There was something on the inside. And that's what we need is the church today. She chose compassion over contempt. 
In Luke chapter 10, the familiar account of the Good Samaritan, I want you to think about that story, if you will. And let, I want you to look at the backside of this. As, the, as the, the gentleman was robbed and he's laying there half dead, the Bible says that the priest and the Levite, the religious people, passed him by. Here's what dawned on me today. I wonder where they were headed. I wonder where they were headed. Because if there's anybody that ought to have compassion on someone in that situation, it ought to be the priest and the Levite. Can I give you a hypothetical scenario? I wonder if the, preacher, if, if the priest wasn't heading to a conference, a Bible conference. I wonder if the Levite wasn't headed to a preacher's fellowship. I mean, that's, that's ministry stuff. I've got to go. I've got studying to do. I've got to go. I've got to go preach here. But oftentimes, listen, we overlook the whole point of ministry, which is people. We get so, so stuck in the mundane mechanics of ministry, and I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, when we forget that we're called to people. They passed up the very reason that they were there to serve God through ministering to people. And yet here comes a Samaritan. The Samaritan looks down and he sees the guy. If you'll notice, everything he did was focused on the man. He took out his supplies that he had and used them on the man. He put the man on his beast. He went out of his way to take him to an inn. And he told the innkeeper, he gave him money after it was over. And he says, here, I'm going to pay you with my money. Notice the focus was on the man, not on himself. Now, this young lady, we see her compassion rather than contention because her focus was on Naaman. Can I tell you tonight, <clears throat> folks, this is a real easy litmus test. The difference in compassion and contention is what you're focusing on. Anytime there's contention, it means we're focusing on ourselves. All right? We're focusing on ourselves. I'm not getting what I think. Things aren't happening the way that I want. Those people aren't doing what I like. Rather than compassion says, let me give of myself to meet the need that you have. It's amazing to me that she did not have a grudge. If I was this maid, I probably would have had a grudge. But here's what's neat. The only way for you to hold a grudge against somebody tonight is for you to dump out some compassion so that you can harbor the grudge. When our heart's full of compassion, there's no room for a grudge. No room. By the way, who do we think we are to be able to hold a grudge against anybody? Who do we think we are? He said, well, what do you mean? They, they did me wrong. Naaman did her wrong. Naaman did her wrong. But she did not have a grudge against him and hold him in contempt. But he had compassion upon him. I'll show you why here in just a few minutes. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to read something real quick. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to think about compassion being the fuel in your tank to serve God. And when you dump out some of your compassion to hold contempt against somebody, you just lost a little bit of your fuel. Ephesians chapter 4, look down if you would to verse number 31. <clears throat> the Bible says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Can I ask you tonight, who, who do we think we are to hold a grudge against anybody? 
If anybody has a right to hold a grudge, it's God. And God says, I want you to forgive. I don't want you to hold a grudge. Don't hold contempt against anybody. Why? Because of what I've already forgiven you. If anybody has a right to have a grudge, it's God. Look what we did to his son. Look what God had to go through when he watched his son live on this earth and be ridiculed and crucified. And he says, I forgive you. So forgive others as I have forgiven you. You see, compassion is a choice. Look, you can't choose what other people do to you, all right? If I could choose what other people did to me, I would never get hurt. I would never get my feelings hurt. I hate getting my feelings hurt. And yes, I do get my feelings hurt. My wife will tell you, I can pout with the best of them. I can, man. I've I've got more mature to keep my lip poked in, but it's poking out in spirit. It is. Oh, I don't like getting my feelings hurt. Watch. I cannot choose whether or not to get my feelings hurt, but I get to choose compassion or contempt. I get to choose whether to decide I'm going to hold on to that grudge or I'm going to forgive them because God could forgive me. You got to choose compassion. If you don't have compassion, don't be surprised if God doesn't use you for anything. I told the story not long after we got here that right before we moved here, our house was robbed and ransacked. Boy, I was just mad, mad, mad. Flew home from California to come home and see all of what was done. And we got home, we're walking around the house, and I'm trying to figure out who this person was, and I'm thinking about different people, and oh, my blood is boiling. I'm walking out in the grass, I'm finding footprints, I'm trying to figure out, okay, who do I know that has a shoe about that big? And boy, I'm just conjuring up a list in my head. I'm thinking, they, they stole my AR-15, thinking to myself, I hope it blows up. I hope the biggest buck of their life walks out. When they pick that gun up to shoot that deer, I hope it blows up. And not only do they miss the deer, but it blows up in their face. And boy, I was just mad, mad. Boy, I was holding them in contempt. You break into my house, you eat my pizza out of the refrigerator. I mean, this is a low world we're living in. Went through my wife's jewelry box, dumped stuff up out on the floor. Oh, I was just boiling, holding them in contempt. Then I began to realize, you know, they have a bigger problem than thievery. They have a greater problem than that. There's a good chance they're even lost. Boy, the Lord began to break my heart to pray for those people that robbed my house. Because, look, the stuff that they took, I couldn't take it to heaven with me anyway. But, man, if they're lost and in their actions, they're acting like someone that's lost, they're going to die without Christ and go to hell. And I want you to know, I don't want anybody to go to hell. So it took me, look, look, I'm, I'm confessing for you, it took me about three or four days. But finally, I chose to have compassion. I chose to pray for them in spite of who they were and what they were doing because they have a greater need in their life, and that need was Christ. And I even hoped I'd have the opportunity to share Christ with them. If they caught them, I was going to go to the jail and talk to them about the Lord, but they didn't catch them. So understand, number one, you have to choose compassion over contempt. So what does God see in compassion real quickly? What does God see in compassion? Well, this is simple. He sees himself. He sees himself. What do we say when we lead folks to the Lord? We go through the Romans road. We get somewhere between Romans 3.23 and Romans 10.9-13. There's Romans 5.8. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? It means he had compassion on us in spite of who we were. 
Folks, understand, if God could have compassion on me in spite of who I am, if this maid could have compassion on Naaman in spite of who he was, then I can have compassion on people in spite of who they are. And when God sees us have compassion on people rather than contempt, even if you have a right to hold a grudge against them and they have wronged you, you choose to have compassion, God looks down and he sees a resemblance of himself. Is that not what we're aiming for, by the way? Romans 8, 28, go on and read verse number 29. The Bible says that it's God's desire we become conformed to the image of Christ, that he look down and he see his son and he see himself, and he does that through compassion. So number one, she chose compassion over contempt. Keep reading verse number two. I'm sorry, verse number three. The Bible says, and she said unto her mistress, would God, my Lord, with the prophet that is in Samaria. Now watch this last part. For he would recover him of his leprosy. He would recover him of his leprosy. So we see this young lady, don't know her name, but boy, she's a hero. God included her in his word. Her life has been changed. Her lifestyle has been changed. Her circumstances have been changed. But I want you to notice the one thing that has not changed, and that is her. Watch closely. Her lifestyle has changed. Her home has changed. The people she's around has changed. And the only thing that hasn't changed is her. Why? Number two, she chose consistency in spite of her circumstances. She chose consistency in spite of her circumstances. Watch this. She was a captive. She was a slave. She was a victim. But she didn't, watch close, she didn't let what she was change who she was. You with me? She didn't let what she was. She was a captive. She was a victim. I mean, look, if anybody ought to raise their hand and say, hey, I've been done wrong. It was her. But she didn't let what she was change who she was. She resolved to be consistent in her character. This is what we call refusing to be a victim of circumstance. She refused to let the circumstances of her life change who she was. Can I tell you what's valuable to God tonight? People that can go out and live their faith in spite of their circumstances. But you look at the church today, and the church is a victim of the circumstances of the world we're living in. But this girl was not changed. This girl could have gotten bitter. This girl could have gotten mad. This girl could have just adopted the culture, but yet we see her, in spite of her circumstances, remaining consistent. I'll tell you, one of the most valuable things you'll find in the Christian walk is a Christian that can just be consistent. Just be consistent. You don't have to be flashy. The world we live in, flash is a big deal, and fame is a big deal. God just looks for some people that can be consistent in spite of the world they're living in. I'm not going to bring this up a whole lot because I don't want to make Miss Janelle a target for the devil, but I just have to tell you, the consistency of the young lady's faith as she went through this trial was inspiring. It was inspiring. I went back and prayed with her right before the surgery, and it was was kind of dark. They had to keep the room kind of dark because of the test that they were doing, and took her by the hand, and we began to pray together, and she was just Janelle. She was the same Janelle we saw a week, before, a week ago, and she's the same Janelle she was a month ago. She's consistent. The circumstance, look, I, I'm not saying there wasn't any fear. I'm not saying there wasn't any hesitation. But you could tell she was leaning on the same faith last Thursday that she was uh, four, four Thursdays before. 
Can I tell you something tonight? You want to be used of God. Learn to be consistent in spite of your circumstances. And that's a choice. That's a choice. You're going to go out into inhospitable circumstances. I told the kids in chapel this morning. I walked out the door and it was cold. I, had a, I forgot to check the antifreeze in the Toyota. And I was afraid it was going to freeze and mess up my car. So I went and took one of my wife's lamps and stuck it underneath the car. So if you drove by my house last night and you saw the bottom of the car glowing, that's what it was. I just didn't want the, want the, want the car to freeze over and crack. So I went out this morning to, to remove the lamp. Boy, I went out there and it was cold. You know what it made me want to do? Go back in the house. Man, let me tell you what I did. I went in and got my old jacket, big old heavy jacket. I got this ugly toboggan on, put some sweatpants on, my dress shoes. Miss Daisy, if you saw me walking out there this morning, I was a sight. It looked pretty rough. I didn't, I didn't like somebody to be proud to be your pastor. I assure you that. But here's what I decided. The circumstances were not hospitable to do what I needed to do, but I wasn't going to let the circumstances stop me from doing what I needed to do. Now, folks, look, you're going to go out in the world, it's going to be spiritually cold, and you're going to want to go hide back by the fireplace of your life. I'm just going to cuddle up here and stay where it's nice and warm, but you'll not be used of God by the fireplace. You're not going to be used of God if you just stay in your comfort zone of your bubble. No, you're going to have to go out there and remain consistent in spite of your circumstances. And we see this little maid doing just that. I believe what our world needs to see is more consistency in our Christian character. They're waiting to see that. They hear about how awesome our God is. They hear what our God can do, and they hear us sing about it, and they see the post of the concerts we go to of just how awesome our God is. But they're waiting for to see it when you're in inhospitable circumstances. They're waiting to see that it works out there. You know, when you, when you, when you put something through the trials called field trials, that's what they're waiting to see. They're waiting to see if that faith you had in here, by the way, this is the fireplace. It's nice and warm in here, isn't it? They're waiting for you to live the faith that you had in here out there. And we see this young lady being consistent. I asked you Sunday night, Job, his wife, the question that she asked him, she says, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Dost thou still? Job, boy, he walked with God. Job eschewed evil. I mean, Job was the real deal. And now when the circumstances change, his wife says, do you still? Do you still? Can I tell you the testimony of Job is what he went through in spite of his circumstances. Oh, what God could do with just a handful of Christians that could go out there and be consistent in their character in spite of their circumstances. I mean, God could change your neighborhood. God could change your family. The problem is they see so much inconsistency, they throw it all out. I read a quote by Charles Spurgeon today. I, I want to read it for you. Woo, it had some meat in it. So you get to go home with a little bit of meat tonight one way or the other, even if it's Spurgeon's here. The Bible says a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. Now let that sink in for a moment. They reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If in his life, if his doctrine disagree, if his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. 
What is it saying? It says people are looking for consistency. They want it to match up. They hear what we say, but what we say is merely worth pennies, okay? Have you ever gone through a, a burger joint, maybe a Walmart, and uh, you were running low before payday, and all you have is a big old handful of pennies, and boy, you just get up here and you pour it out. They hate you for that. You pour it out there. You're just hoping they're not going to count, and they're just going to say, go ahead, and they just rake it all into the drawer. It's probably not the right change anyway, but you just pour it out there. That's all we do for the world. We love to talk. And we love to sing. Nothing wrong with any of that. But that's like just all we're doing is giving the world pennies. If we want to make an impact on the world, listen, we've got to give them dollars. And those dollars are the deeds of a life that matches up with our doctrine. And so often our doctrine is not consistent with what we have to say and what we tell. And no wonder they throw out and reject our preaching. Proverbs 24.10, the Bible says this, If thou faint in the day of adversity... Thy strength is small. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. What is adversity? It's bad circumstances. I don't like adversity. But from time to time, your faith is going to be tested through the circumstances that are not hospitable to it. The Bible says, if you faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. God has no use for people whose strength is small. God needs some people who can take a hit. God needs some heavy lifters out there. When I, was, when I was reading Proverbs 24, I thought about David's mighty men. If you'll turn there with me real quick in 2 Samuel, I'll give you this in the last point. In 2 Samuel, we read one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's, uh, it's David's mighty men. 2 Samuel chapter 23. By the way, you young ladies could read after this, and boy, learn a lot as well. It's not just for the guys. 2 Samuel chapter 23. Verse number eight, I want you to follow along with me and see these mighty men and what made them mighty. The Bible says, these be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same was Adino, the Ezanite. He lift up his spear against 800 who he slew at one time. Now, wait a minute. What did the Bible call these men in verse number eight? Called them mighty. Called them mighty. Now, why were they mighty? Well, watch. It's because of what they did in spite of their circumstances. This one man, he lifted up his spear against 800. He was mighty because he was able to prevail in spite of his circumstances. Well, the circumstances, one versus 800. My goodness. One versus 800, that's not very good odds, but he prevailed. That's why he was mighty. We keep reading down, look down if you would to verse, uh, verse number 10. The Bible speaks of Eleazar. It says, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. The Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. Here's old Eleazar. He fought until he could not put down his sword. My goodness, what circumstances he prevailed through. I love when you read down. One of my favorite characters is verse number 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines were gathered together in a, into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. Remember the Bible says a troop. He slew the Philistines, the Lord wrought a great victory. Can I ask you, what made these men mighty? 
They were consistent in spite of their circumstances. Now, we don't have a Polaroid picture of these guys. My brain, I picture a ragtag group of guys, probably missing several teeth, maybe a, a couple missing an ear. I'm sure there was missing fingers in this group. I mean, they probably weren't looking like somebody you'd want to bring home to mom, that's for sure. But they got the job done. They got the job done. Now, folks, be careful when you focus on more of what it looks on the outside and that consistency on the inside to get the job done for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. These men may not have looked like much, but they were consistent in spite of their circumstances. The key to all of that is in verse number 8. Well, the Bible says these are the mighty men, listen close, that David had. That David had. David says, I can count on them. I've got them. Can I tell you, you're no good to God tonight if he doesn't have you? The other day, my wife found something on Pinterest. Imagine that. She wanted to change the fireplace to look like she wanted it. And I won't get into all of that. And so I decided I was going to surprise her next Friday, and, or this past Friday. And I was going to do it while she was at school. And so as soon as I dropped her off, I, I, I made this real elaborate story of what I was doing. So she wouldn't know I was at home working on the mantle and the fireplace and all this new fireplace stuff she wanted. And Brother Jim, I even drug you into my lie. I hate to tell you that, but I drug you into that. Brother Jim spoiled it for me when he came up to the church and cut grass Friday. My wife told me later on, she says, Brother Jim was up here cutting grass. You was my alibi. I said, me and Brother Jim were at the house working. He didn't realize he didn't undercut my alibi. He was not there helping me. I'm confessing for you tonight, okay? I got to look at my tools, and I didn't have, I didn't have hardly any of my tools, when I was in Monroe, I had a whole thing of tools, and when I was in Carson, my dad had all the tools, and so I just go up there and borrow what I needed. Well, I'm here. I don't have any tools, and I went digging in my box, and I found a Sawzall, okay? Now, I've got to cut studs. I've got to cut uh, a shiplap siding. I've got to cut trim, and all that I have is a Sawzall. If you don't know what a Sawzall is, it's like a, you know, like this. It's not what you need to cut trim with. It's not what you need to cut siding with, but it was all I had, so... I did it all with a sawzall. I cut every bit of it. I cut the two by fours. I cut the plates. I cut the, the lap siding. I even cut the one by four trim. I even cut crown mold with a sawzall. You didn't know you had such a, a technically advanced pastor, did you? It may not have looked much, but listen, the sawzall that I had was better than the skill saw I didn't. Use what I had. Got the job done. It looked, it may not have been pretty, but it was productive. Can I tell you something tonight as a Christian? You don't have to be pretty, but you do need to be productive. Look, we can go out there and we can be flashy and we can talk a good game, but all that matters is when we get out there in the circumstances that are inhospitable, that we're consistent on what we say we believe. I believe there needs to be some Bible college courses taught on consistency. We teach a lot of Bible college courses on capability, nothing wrong with that, but what good is capability if you can't be consistent with it? We've got to learn to hold up in spite of the circumstances. So what was it in this young lady? Well, number two, it was consistency in spite of her circumstance. And the last thing I want to give you before we go tonight is really what motivated all of it. What motivated all of this? What made this young lady have compassion instead of contempt? What made this young lady choose to be consistent in spite of her circumstance? Well, I believe you'll see it in verse number three. 
The Bible says, and she said unto her mistress, when she found out that Naaman had leprosy, she went to him, her mistress and says, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. Notice the exclamation point after that. She's saying this excitedly. She says, if, if only Naaman w- was with the prophet that's in Samaria. Notice the last part of verse number three. For he would recover him of his leprosy. I think you can see in verse number three why or how she was able to do and to choose what she chose to be consistent and to have compassion. Number three, she was convinced of her God. She was convinced of her God. Now stick with me for a moment. At some point in this young lady's life, at some point in her life, she chose to believe that God was everything he said he was. So how do you know? Because she's reflecting that now. But sometime before now, she had concluded and put her faith in God no matter what. Now hear me out. You will not have compassion instead of contempt. You will not be consistent in spite of your circumstances if you do not and choose to be convinced of who God says he is. There's no way you'll do it. We see Daniel in a very similar scenario as the young lady in chapter 5. Daniel's taken from his home into Babylonian captivity. Daniel's given a new name, but they couldn't change who Daniel was. And when they tried to change Daniel, Daniel had already decided what he believed. He was already convinced in his God. They could change his name and change his town and change his culture, but they couldn't change who Daniel had already decided he was. The Bible says he had purposed in his heart. He was convinced of his God. And so Daniel was able to hold up in spite of his circumstances. Why? Because he was convinced of his God. Now, folks, hear me me out tonight. We go out there in the world to do the will of God, and you're watching our country right now unfold on television. This impeachment hearing, I mean, it could get rough really quick in America. And you go out there in a hostile environment, you better be convinced of your God. The only way you're going to go out there and and have compassion on people instead of having contempt upon people is to be convinced of your God. The only way you'll go out there and be consistent, and buddy, it's going to get harder and harder as the days go by, is to be convinced of your God. You're going to have to know what you've believed in. This is why Joseph was able to succeed. Man, we just see Joseph having hard knock after hard knock after hard knock after hard knock. And Joseph seems unfazed, doesn't he? His brothers do this to him. He's lied upon, thrown into prison, and all of these things. And Joseph just keeps being consistent. Why? Well, at the end of the story, when his brothers come before him, we notice he has compassion on his brothers. He has compassion. Joseph's remained consistent, and Joseph has compassion. Why? Because Joseph was convinced of his God. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. No matter what happened to Joseph, he was trusting in God. And I believe you see the faith of this little maid. She was just trusting God all the way through. She was unfazed by her circumstance. She was unfazed by the ill treatment because she trusted in her God. One of my favorite scriptures in Hebrews 11 why well, read Hebrews 11 a lot. One of my favorites is verse number 19. The Bible says that when God had called Abraham to go and take Isaac and sacrifice Isaac on, uh, on Mount Moriah, that Abraham went up there. But the Bible says, if you'll read the last part of verse number 19, 
The Bible says that he accounted that God was able to raise Isaac. How, look, how was Abraham able to go? I mean, I have one child. I cannot imagine God calling me to take that one child and to sacrifice her to him. How did Abraham do it? Well, the secret was Abraham was already trusting in God before he ever set foot on Mount Moriah. He says he accounted that God was able. He was convinced you would be amazed at what you could do for the cause of Christ if you were convinced of your God. I'm talking about really convinced. I'm not talking about good enough to talk about. I'm talking about convinced in here. You'd be able to have compassion instead of contempt. You'd be able to be consistent in spite of your circumstances. Now, folks, we wonder why God doesn't use us. Well, I believe it simply is this. Number one, we've not learned to have compassion. God can't use us if we're not compassionate toward the people that he's called us to reach. You're going to have to be compassionate in spite of whatever they've done to you. You're going to have to be compassionate in spite of whatever they are doing. In spite of who they are, you've got, that's true compassion. How do you do that? Don't focus on yourself. Well, they offended me. They hurt my feelings. I don't believe like do. I don't like them. I don't like being around them. You see, I, 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 change your focus to them, and you'll find you have room for compassion. And then number two, you're going to have to learn to be consistent. If you're waiting for the right circumstances, I hate to tell you, they're never going to show up. As a matter of fact, it's going to get worse and worse. But you can be consistent in spite of your circumstances if you'll just be what she was. Verse 3, she says, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Doesn't sound like much doubt, does it? No doubt. She says, he can do it. He can do it. If he could just, as a matter of fact, you read verse number 5, Naaman doesn't even hesitate. He says, go get him. He was convinced because why? She was convinced. I think we'd be more convincing in our faith if we were more convinced about our faith. We had enough compassion, had enough consistency. I think we'd see God choose us to do more than we're doing tonight. Why don't we take a moment, our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and let's just pray. Spend some time in prayer asking God to help us be more compassionate. Ask God, help us be more consistent. Why don't we ask God,